0: All right. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? Good. Good. Everyone's got their coffee ready to uh, let good times begin. Good, good. All right. Hey, if I haven't met you yet, uh, happy Mother's Day. My name is Nick. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at The Transit, and uh, this morning we're continuing our series as that video showed, um, our journey through the Gospel of Mark entitled, Journey with Jesus. So today, we're going to be in Mark 1, 14 through 20. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 1, 14 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles in the, uh, the center aisle there that you can use. And um, with this sermon series, we're looking through uh, over the next couple of weeks, couple of months here, the uh, Gospel of Mark up into chapter 8. We're not just looking at the life of Christ, but also the journey that, that this Jesus invites us to join him on, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. In Mark 1, 14 through 20. So the way this works at the transit, this is your first time we read this text out loud together. So help me read this. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And passing alongside the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you are here with us today. Spirit, I just pray you would move in power this morning. Uh, Help us to see you uh, for all that you are worth. A lot of us are here today uh, and we uh, are just so prone to wander. Lord, we're so prone to see other things as surpassing in their worth when it comes to knowing you. May we Uh, have our, uh, the the hearts of our eyes, uh, the eyes of our hearts enlightened so that we can see that you, Jesus, are of surpassing worth. And that if we lose everything but gain you, that we have gained everything and lost truly nothing, Jesus. So help us to see that. Spirit, move in power. Stir our affections for you. Uh, Would you use this tired, um, tired servant of yours for your awesome sovereign purposes here this morning? And would you increase And when I decrease up here, and pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, guys. Well, if you were here last week, we looked at the text leading up to this. And leading up to this text, what we saw was Jesus Christ came on the scene. He was baptized. That baptism was his inauguration, his official entry into his public ministry. It was also his identification with sinners baptized in the same Jordan River, side by side uh, with sinners, Uh, foreshadowing the work that he came to do. And after that inauguration, he entered into the temptation wilderness where he faced the first battle. He was in in many battles that he was going to face against the king of darkness, the the king of the kingdom of darkness, uh, the enemy that he has come to defeat. In leaving that temptation wilderness, where we find ourselves in our text this morning is that Jesus now is entering into what's called his great Galilean ministry, where the first year and a half of his ministry, he doesn't go to Jerusalem and begin his ministry. He goes to Galilee. And if you were here last week, that region was despised by those in Jerusalem, by the, the super you know, righteous uh, Pharisees who um, were the religious elite of the day. They did not like the region of Galilee. It was super far away uh, from Jerusalem, and they had an influx of people who weren't of Israel background. And so therefore, the, the super awesome religious people in Jerusalem didn't like that. And that is where Jesus went. I love that. And he begins his ministry in Galilee. And that's where we find ourselves in our text this morning. And we're looking at two things. Uh, The title of my talk uh, this morning is The Coming of the Kingdom. And uh, we're gonna see that with this kingdom and with this king who is coming, there's two aspects to this text. One, we see that there's a message involved. So we're gonna be looking at the message of the king. And two, we're gonna be looking at the mission that this king calls his followers to. Or you could replace that word mission with the journey that Jesus invites and calls us to, to join him on. And so with that said, the first thing we see is the message of the king. Look at verses 14 through 15 with me. Now after, verse 14, now after John was arrested, let's stop right there. John the Baptist was the front runner of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the Old Testament, uh, we, the, the prophets foresaw this guy, John the Baptist, making straight the, the path of the Lord, right? He, got, he, he rallied the entire Judean countryside to get ready for the coming of Christ. Hundreds of thousands baptized in the Jordan. And uh, it's no small thing here that John says, and John was arrested. We need to stop there and say, wait, what? Wait, following this Jesus gets you arrested? Wait, wait, why? What? How? Why in the world is this happening? It's not until six chapters later that Mark tells us why, but what we have here is, is this. The reader is encountered with this truth. If the frontrunner of Jesus can get arrested and later executed, why not the, the person he's frontrunning for? There's a little foreshadowing going on here uh, in, in Mark's gospel. John was arrested, and John's prayer in, John, in the gospel of John, John 3, is that Christ would increase and he would decrease. And uh, what is funny, I was listening to a sermon by, this is kind of a side note, but it's, it's worth repeating. I was listening to a, a podcast uh, uh, by a preacher someone recommended uh, a couple Sundays ago to me, and he said this line. He said this. He said, have you guys, have you guys heard the, uh, the saying, God won't give you more than you can handle? <laughs> have you heard that? <laughs> yeah, what do, you, what do you say to John? Hey, John, don't worry. Hey, hey God will give you more than you can handle. I know you're in jail and you got arrested for no reason or whatever, but hey, God won't give you more than you can handle. He said to the disciples. You say it to the Apostle Paul. No, no. no. See, this is, what the, this is what the pastor said. I love it. He says, he says that you, he says if you have throw pillows with that verse on it, you know, make sure you just you know accidentally stain those, throw those out. That's not true, because God is in the business of giving us more than we can handle, so that we forsake trust in ourselves and we begin to put our trust in Him. I stole that from somebody else, so, but it was good, right? I had to share it. Really good. God's in the business of doing that. How can we read this gospel, follow this Jesus, and think that God won't give us more than we can. handle? that's exactly what he does. So we stop playing this religious game of self-righteous moralism. We start putting our trust where it can only be found in Christ. So John's arrested. That's all Mark gives us. Uh, It's not until Mark 6 that he unpacks that. And I just think it's so funny, man. This Christian, uh, we're kind of losing our dominance in the culture. I'm so excited for that church. I just really am because, you know, what, what's interesting here is John the Baptist didn't get a book deal after his ministry, right? John the Baptist didn't get a TV special after his ministry. John the Baptist faithfully fulfilled his calling in life, serving Christ, and he got him arrested and executed, right? That this Jesus, following this Jesus, there's a cost to it. There's some things we have to leave behind, which we're gonna look at later. Continuing, now after John was arrested, he, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So I already talked about this briefly. Where did Jesus go? We went right to Galilee, right? Not to Jerusalem. Jerusalem had hardened their hearts they, were, they became self-righteous. They became proud uh, in their moralism. They didn't need God anymore. So Jesus goes, where well, the fields are white for harvest, the one area that the religious elite of the day despise. I'm going to go to Galilee. He begins his ministry in uh, the Galilean countryside. Um, and uh, and uh, one of the one New Testament scholars said this was Christ's first century press release was his great Galilean ministry for about a year and a half. And what's interesting here is... Um, not just where Jesus went, but what he came to do. So Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of God. I heard a speaker this weekend at our, base, our, our, our basic training for our community group leaders. We had a, a, uh, a missionary who's now a pastor come and speak to our community group leaders. And he said this, he's like talking about uh, us being on mission as a church. He says, a lot of us wanna be the hands and feet of Christ, but we don't wanna be his mouth. And I was like, dang, that's good. It's really good. And what we see here. Jesus came proclaiming, proclaiming. And in the Greek, that's kind of a a heralding, uh, an announcing, an event or news. He's proclaiming a gospel, which means literally good news. And what's interesting here is Jesus didn't come uh, preaching, he came proclaiming. Jesus isn't going all around Galilee offering advice. He's announcing that the kingdom of God has come. He's announcing an event in history that, that this Christian faith isn't advice, it's news. News that changes everything. This is what Tim Keller says to give us a context for this word, proclaiming. And 2,000 years ago, this was the context behind that word. When Greece was invaded by Persia and the Greeks won the great battles of Marathon and Solnus, they sent heralds or evangelists who proclaimed the good news to the cities We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. A gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history, something that has been done for you that changes your status forever. The essence of other religions is advice. Christianity is essentially news, joyful news. These heralds would come running from the battle where where their, their king and their kingdom was victorious and they're telling everyone, we're free. Victory has been won. This changes everything about everything in your life. And that's what Jesus is proclaiming here. That's what he's doing. And we see this. What's funny is we see this all the time is that um, we're a proclaiming people. We were made to proclaim and to worship, right? To proclaim uh, uh, stuff like this. And, 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 and I'm a huge Washington Capitals fan. So sorry if you guys heard me talk about this all weekend at the basic you know, community group training this weekend. But here's the deal. On Monday, there was an event in history that completely changed my life on Monday night. I see some of you Caps fans are nodding. You're tracking with me. If you're new to the area, you're not sure who the Washington Capitals are, they are a hockey team. I grew up, I grew up uh, uh, in the 90s watching the Capitals, okay? And for the last 20 years, what you need to know is that our enemy, who we were in, in, in bondage and, and, and lifelong <laughs> slavery to was the Pittsburgh Penguins. We would meet these Pittsburgh Penguins in the playoffs and year after year after year, game six, game seven, triple overtime, the Penguins would win and go to win like 18 Stanley Cups. It was, I mean, just soul crushing, right? And then Monday night happens, and out of nowhere, the Capitals finally beat uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? They secured the victory against our, our enemy, right? And I think, you know, and uh, yeah, someone, someone's happy about it. But this is, this is why I share that, is what's funny is, um, if you were on social media on Monday night, and you had, if you had friends of families who were Caps fans, what was everyone doing after that game? They were evangelizing. They're proclaiming an event in history. Everyone was celebrating, right? Everyone was like, oh my gosh, all Caps, the Caps win, you know, sharing funny videos or, you know, uh, funny videos about the Penguins losing, you know, whatever. I shared a video where Ovechkin in a commercial shoots a puck and it hits a penguin. And he goes, sorry, Penguin. You know, I shared that because I was so excited. Yeah. But, uh, Everyone's so excited about it. So what are we doing? We're proclaiming an event in history that changes the status for Caps fans forever, right? Our, our greatest enemy has been defeated. We have victory. That's, what that's, that's, that's heralding. That's what evangelism looks like. And, and, and to contrast that, after the game, no Caps fans share blogs on, hey, th- these are hi- 10 highly effective steps on how to be a Caps fan. You guys tracking with me? There's no advice on, hey, this is what you do after the Caps finally win 20 years in game six. This is, this is what you write. This is how you say it. This is what you should say. Everyone lost their minds. I'm getting blown up. I'm texting everyone. I'm on social media. I'm like, ah, we won, you know? Why? Because that's what happens. That's what happens when there's a, a heralding of good news, right? You don't, you don't need advice. Go tell all your friends. Tell all your friends victory has been secured for us. And that's the message of the gospel. It is news. It's, it is an event in history that changes everything. Christ's death and his resurrection, securing salvation. He made salvation available for everybody, reconciling us back to God so that our hearts can finally find what we were truly made for. That's great news. That's awesome news. And that's what Jesus is coming to proclaim. And there's four parts to his message. One, if you look at verse, uh, uh, verses 14 and 15, he says, one, the time is fulfilled. Jesus is saying, John the Baptist... Uh, he got all you hyped about this. This is the time. It's me. And also all the Old Testament prophets who saw this time. This is this time in history where the kingdom of God is officially being inaugurated through my death and my resurrection. The kingdom of God is at hand. It has drawn near and it's already here, but it'll be, it'll be fully here, uh, uh, at Christ's return, right? So it's the already, but not yet of the kingdom of God. It's already a present reality when Christ is there. And, uh, and yet it's going to be consummated in the future. It's kind of like when, you're, when you order a package from Amazon and you get the email, that sweet, that's sweet book's coming, right? No one buys books here but me. You know, I just, you know, I get really excited about books. And uh, it's coming, right? I got it. It's purchased. It's at hand, but it's not yet. It hasn't come yet. But there's going to come a day I know and I have hope and it changes my present reality. That book's going to come. I'm going to open it up and I'm going to try to read it uh, eventually. Anyway, so that is... What Christ is coming, he's saying the time is fulfilled. There's a new king uh, here, and there's a new kingdom that is at hand. It's drawn near. And so the kingdom of God, Jeff gave an awesome sermon in our uh, sermon series on the Lord's Prayer about the kingdom of God. I encourage you to re-listen to to that. It's on on the website. Um, And uh, so I'm not going to spend too much time there. But the kingdom of God is essentially this. It's God's reign and rule over his people and his world. And so when Jesus is saying, hey, the kingdom of God has drawn near, the kingdom has come, it has come near, he's saying it's near because the king is here. The king of the universe has arrived on the thing. The kingdom of God has has come to, to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness. There's a new king, a new kingdom that I'm rescuing and calling people into. That's the journey that Jesus set out to do, to create from the kingdom of darkness to call people out of darkness into light, into life in him. This is what Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness Uh, or he or God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved sons. We are citizens now because of what Christ has done of a new kingdom, a new humanity. The church, this is us, right? And what we're gonna see is this now is our identity, those who have been reconciled. And out of that identity... We become fishers of men, which we'll look at in a little bit. But Sinclair Ferguson says this about the gospel of Mark. Uh, and so Sinclair Ferguson has a good commentary on the gospel of Mark and this quote that we're going to look at. He's talking about, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. When the kingdom of God draws near, this is what it looks like. This is a preview of heaven breaking into uh, and, and coming down to earth. This is a preview of what is to come that already but not yet. This is what Sinclair Ferguson says. Jesus' words meant the time has come God's reign is beginning to be seen. But how? In Jesus himself. He calls men into his kingdom. He subdues the forces of the kingdom of darkness. He restores those who are sick and banishes the effects of sinfulness as well as forgiving the sins themselves. This is good news indeed. This is good news indeed. Banishes the effects of sinfulness as well as forgiving the sins themselves. When marriages are restored, when the sinner repents, when the addict's chains are broken, that's the kingdom of God breaking in, breaking into the kingdom of darkness and rescuing us from ourselves. And that's the news that Jesus is proclaiming: So the kingdom of God is here, and there's a response. So that's the message. But there's a response, and uh, the response to Christ's message is twofold. The first part is repent. There's so the kingdom of God is at hand now. Repent, and what that word essentially means is just change directions. It's, it's, it, it, in, the, in the original language, it's metanoia, it's Greek, it means, it means change your mind that leads to a change of direction. You're going the wrong way, turn around, and uh, turn to something else, a willful change of mind and a change, change of direction at the beckon, beckoning and call of Jesus Christ. So uh, a couple years ago, I was at the Outer Banks with my family. Anyone been to the Outer Banks before? Yeah, awesome, awesome place, okay? So we're out there vacationing. It's a beautiful day. My brother and his wife are playing in the ocean with um, my, niece, uh, my two nieces, Jordan and uh, uh, Taylor. Yes, I remember your name. All right, she's, she's in front row. And they're playing in the surf. And I'm, I'm there on the beach uh, and uh, watching, watching them play in the waves and everything. And this is great. And uh, as I'm watching, all of a sudden... At the corner of my eye, I see a, a really big, sharp-looking, pointy fin rise up behind them, and then I see the tail fin, and it's thrashing like pretty close behind them. And all of a sudden, I get on my feet, including the entire beachfront of uh, the Outer Banks, and we're saying, get out of the water! Repent! Turn! <laughs> You can't see what we see. Repent. Come this direction. Stop playing in the waves. You think it's fun and games. You're about to get eaten, right? And so my brother sees this, and he pushes everyone into the surf and starts running to... Okay, he didn't do that. I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, <laughs> they scooped him up in the arms, and they, and they got out of there because they knew that they were in danger. Right? They knew that they are in danger. That's what repentance looks like. It's what we turn from, and a lot of times we're having fun, we're playing in the ocean, but we can't see what Christ sees in our lives. And so when Jesus says, hey, repent, leave that, you think it's fun and games, but there's, man, there, there's, a, there's death waiting you there. There's hardship waiting you there. Christ calls us to leave some things in order to follow him. And so my question to you before we move on would be, what in your life right now is Christ calling you to turn from? What is he calling you to turn from? That you know that, that, that he's calling you to do that. Um, and then next, if repentance is what we turn from, we don't want to just focus on what we turn from, but it's about, all about what with this word believe here is, is, is trust in verse 15. He says, repent and believe. So if repentance is what we turn from, believing is who we turn to. And that is our focus. That is our primary focus. This is what we leave behind, but this is now who we follow and who we get when we leave these things behind. And... Uh, I would unpack this further, but the next section of our text gives us a beautiful, beautiful picture of what it means to repent and to trust in Christ. And that leads us to the mission of the king. And so if in Colossians it's true that Christ came to deliver us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of his beloved son, that he calls men into his kingdom, and that's the journey Jesus is on, this is exactly what we see Christ doing, right? This is exactly what we see him doing. This is the mission of the king, to rescue us, to rescue us and adopt us into his kingdom. Verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So there's a couple things that stick out to me here. This passage here doesn't say that Jesus sitting in the synagogue, waiting for people to come follow him, all of a sudden encountered Simon and Andrew who walked into the synagogue. That's not what we see. Jesus is out and about, out for a stroll in the Sea of Galilee. What's he doing? He's fishing for men. Jesus is out here. He's, he's not just passing alongside. He's, he's, he's taking what he would normally do and being intentional with it, right? I think this is just, you know, a good, a good thing for us is that as we pass along in life, what are those areas or those areas or those moments where, where we can start being intentional, being ambassadors and pointing people to Jesus? So Jesus is just passing along the Sea of Galilee. He's not sitting in the synagogue waiting for people to come up and uh, he, uh this is, this is what I'm getting at, is where people were is where Jesus Christ was. Because where people were is where Jesus wanted to be. Rather, wherever there were people, you would see Jesus there. Why? Because that's where Jesus wanted to be, because he loved people. And he calls us to love people. And uh, he sees some fishermen literally in the middle of their day job, casting nets in the sea. They were in the middle of work. And in verse 17, this is what uh, Jesus comes up and says to them, verse 17. Hey guys, man, I am so sorry to bother you. Is now a good time for you guys to chat? I know you're right in the middle of something. Um, So if, if you're too busy, no worries, just let me know. But here's the deal, here's the deal. I've been sent by God to reconcile and redeem humanity back to him. Like guys, like, listen, I'm totally gonna change the world. And so if it's not too much to ask, would you like to be my followers? Maybe, maybe you could be my disciples. You know, I'll order some cool hats. Get you guys some cool t-shirts. Only if you want to join. But, but listen, guys, don't worry. Don't worry. Your life will look exactly the same. You just have to add me into your schedule. So I won't ask anything difficult. I won't ask anything hard of you. I won't ask you to make any sacrifice. Just make sure you come to this thing we're going to start called Church on Sundays. Be there every Sunday, maybe a little bit early to help Jeff and Nick set up. Um, and... <laughs> especially when we're in the cafeteria. Uh, and maybe, and maybe, hey, you know, in addition to church, maybe on top of that, you know, maybe just once a month, hey, maybe if, if that's too much, maybe, maybe once every two months, we'll just grab coffee and I'll teach you some fun facts about me, but make sure you memorize those facts, but, but don't, but, so memorize those facts, that's all I'll ask you to do, but never worry about actually changing any aspect of your lifestyle based on those facts you memorize. So that's my pitch, what do you guys think? And, and seriously, I'm not asking much. Think about it. Let me know. Hey, how about this? I'll come back in a week or two. I'll circle back with you guys you think about it, and I'll let you know. Is that what Jesus said? No, that's not, that's not what a king says, right? That's not what a king comes and, and, and says, right? That's not what Jesus came and said to those disciples. There was no, there was no negotiation. There was no, there was no, hey, is this convenient for you? He met them. Listen, and some of, you, some of your testimonies are, are like this, where all of a sudden Christ comes in one of the weirdest moments and just rocks your world right where you're at, in the middle of your, your day job, middle of what you're doing, and, and calls you, and calls you, and says this. Uh, this is actually what Jesus said, as you guys see it up there on the screen, verse 17. And Jesus said to them, "Follow me." Ain't no question mark behind that. It's an imperative. It's a command. That's what our King does. That's what a Lord does, right? follow me and i will make you fishers of men so what jesus is calling them to is that message he's proclaiming right he came proclaiming and saying, god this is the same message he's telling to the disciples he's saying repent turn from what you're doing and trust me follow me and in the rabbinic schools of the day the aspiring student sought out the respected rabbi it was never the rabbi who sought out the student it was never the rabbi who went and saw the student. It was the student's responsibility to do that. And when the students would go seek out that respected rabbi, the rabbi would always point them to the law, never point them to himself. And what's so interesting here is unlike other rabbis of the day, it is Jesus Christ who seeks out his disciples and he points them to himself. He's saying, I'm not calling you to the law. I'm coming to fulfill the law and I'm calling you to follow me. The good news that God is proclaiming, that Christ is proclaiming here is a person that we get to trust and we get to know and we get to follow and we get to love as he has first sought us out. That's the heart of Christ. He comes to us, meets us on our territory and calls us just as we are. That's the beautiful part with this. This is a grace call to the disciples here, the future disciples. He's not saying, follow me, but first uh, you're gonna need to cut your hair um, you're going to need to, you know, clean up your mouth a little bit, you're a fisherman, you know, whatever. He calls say, hey, follow me, okay? He's inviting them on the journey. And then he says, I will make you fishers of men. And so studying this, I was about to go all guns a blazing on being fishers of men and all this stuff and everything, and uh, kind of hesitated when I realized, holy smokes, I never saw this before. The promise that Christ gave those guys who were taking a leap of faith, believing, putting their trust in Christ, was that I'm gonna do the work. You trust in me, come just as you are, and I'm gonna make you something new. I'm gonna give you a new identity, and I'm going to do that. It's my work that I'm gonna do in you. I just need you to step out of the boat. Just, come, just, just, just turn, just turn. Come to me, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you know that's the truth, right? Right? we get all gusto and gung-ho and want to go change the world. And all of a sudden, we know that it is Christ in us that is our hope. He is our strength. And I love that. Gives them not just a new mission. He doesn't give them just a new purpose or just a new calling. He gives them a new identity, right? So I will make you. I will remake you. You were once a fisher of fish And now your identity, you're identified as a fisherman. Now you're going to be known as my disciple. You're going to be known as a fisher of men. That's who you are. It's intrinsic in your nature. It's just out of that identity that you flow. You are the reconciled, and you have the new mission to go and reconcile. This is what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If we are in Jesus, we are made new, right? We know that. He has adopted us into his kingdom and remade us, made us a new creation. The old has passed away. Got to leave some stuff behind when you follow Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Oh, I love that. The new has come. All this is from God. I will make you fishers of men. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was calling out to the world. He was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's our identity now. It's not something we do. It is who we are. We are ambassadors for Christ, this new kingdom, this new humanity. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. We have been reconciled. And what Jesus is saying, now go, do the work that's already been done on your behalf. We don't have to go try to to, to reconcile others so that we get reconciled to God and we get all this favor and stuff. Out of our identity of being fully reconciled and loved by the Father, we do what Christ has done to us and we bring glory to God when we say, hey, Jesus sought me out when a stranger wandering far from the fold of God. That's when he intervened in my life. You know how I'm gonna bring him glory through him rescuing and reconciling me is I'm gonna go do the same to other people. Seek them out, love them, meet them where they're at and point them back to God, reconcile them. He's entrusted that to us. And uh, lastly, we see the response of the disciples verses 18 through 20. And immediately, I love this, immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. These guys have officially entered the journey with Jesus Christ. And as history shows, it was a wild journey, journey that has profound profound implications for, for generations upon generations upon generations. We're here in this room right now because these guys answered the call of Christ and stepped out of the boat and followed him. And there's two things that stick out to me, and then I'll wrap up, is what was lost, right? Like, if you, if you imagine what's going on here, and other gospels give us more details, but Mark's gospel uh, is, 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 he wants to sh- show us uh, specifically, I would say, Uh, It's much shorter, but wants to show us specifically the immediacy, the urgency, and the cost to following Christ, right? And so he says, immediately they left their nets. So the first thing that sticks out to me is what did uh, 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 Simon Peter and Andrew leave behind? They had to leave behind. Christ was calling them to leave behind their financial security, right? Their family tradition passed down generation, 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 generation. Right, And we know later that uh, some of these guys continued uh, to also pursue Christ, but pursue fishing as well, fishing of men and fishing of fish at the same time. But what Jesus is saying here is this, is that um, it's all of me, the deal is this on the journey with Jesus, all of me for all of you or no deal. All of me, all of you or no deal. Here's, here's, the, here's, here's the story I'm gonna rewrite. No details yet, just sign here. I'll fill in the rest. I will make you a fisher of men. If you sign that page and he fills in the rest, it's an adventure, it's a journey that he calls us to. And what James and John left, I love, I love the details that were given here of what happened. Uh, James and John are working with their dad. And I don't know if you, if you know this, but um, back in that culture 2,000 years ago, your identity was almost inextricably tied to your family, Right? And so if your dad was a fisherman, you were going to be a fisherman. If your dad's dad was, you know what I'm saying? Like it was passed down from generation to generation. So these guys, not uh, just kind of left their job and left their father in this moment, they left him in the boat. Oh man, my dad would be so mad if I did that. Are you kidding me? Hey, how about you finish your work day, son? We got four more hours. You just ate lunch. Now you're going to go party with Jesus. God, Jesus I don't know who this is. Are you crazy? Get back in here, boy i was surprised I didn't say, and you know, uh, Zebedee came and started chasing them, getting back in the boat. Um, there's a cost. And so what stuck out to me as I was studying this is two things. Two things are repeated here. They left, and they left. They left their nets, <laughs> and, uh, and they left their father. That's no small thing. That's no small thing. And I think... Was tragic, uh, and, and, and it's so difficult. I get it. In our culture today, is that this culture of easy believism and, and just tack Jesus onto everything you're doing. Don't worry, he'll never ask you uh, uh, to to readjust your finances. He'll never ask you to uh, have any conflict in your family. You want to imagine Thanksgiving dinner now with Zebedee and his two sons? You know how awkward that'd be. Hey, hey, who's this Jesus you're following? What are you guys doing? I haven't seen you guys in forever. The, you know, I got to hire more people. I thought I was going to pass this down to you. And you're leaving me? You're forsaking what I've entrusted to you. And, I, and I've instilled in, in you from a, uh, since, since, since I was changing your diapers, made of cloth, had to rewash those things in the sea and all that stuff. And now you're going to go leave me for this guy, Jesus, who just arrived on the scene. How dare you, right? And, and when I was doing youth ministry, there was a student that came to faith in Christ who was from an Islamic background. His family uh, 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 kicked him out of the house. And so this guy had to stay at other people's houses. That's how, that's how radical this is in certain contexts in certain cultures, right? There's things we have to leave behind. And for some of us here, man, we hedge our bets, and I'm so prone to do this, of hedging our bets, hedging our bets, of yes, th- this is what I'm getting at, is Jesus, yes, I'll leave everything behind, but this, but this one thing, right? The, Don't touch my career, I got that covered. Don't, don't touch my 401k. That's my, that's my security. That's where I put my trust, right? Don't, don't touch my family, you know? Like, you don't, 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 don't tell me to, to, you know, we're gonna have to pack up and move because you're calling us to, to go play in a church or to go overseas for, for missions work or, or do whatever. You can't tell me to do that. Whenever we're saying, yes, Jesus, I give you all, but this, we've just identified what we truly bow down to in worship. We've just identified right there what is ultimately king in our lives, right? And it's not, I'm not, you know, Jesus isn't saying everyone empty their bank accounts and leave their families. What Jesus is saying is I take priority over everything now. I infiltrate every aspect of your life or I'm not truly king, right? I call the shots now. You sign the paper and I will do the work. And so everything was lost pretty much by these guys, their work, their family, their lives. And their story, these disciples, their story ended like this. All four of these guys, I love, I love studying scripture because what we see is this is the moment that these guys entered into the journey with Jesus and they had no idea what they're getting in, into in that moment, Right? Maybe they had some idea, maybe some notion. Maybe they thought they were gonna, you know, rule with Christ and, and like, oh, this is the messianic king. Cool, like I'll be his director of chief of staff, you know, or whatever. And uh, these guys met the person of surpassing worth. They left everything, and this is the outcome. Peter was crucified, like his savior. Simon Peter was called by Christ. Was crucified. His brother crucified as well. Andrew was crucified. Uh, James was killed by the sword by 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 Herod. James was executed for his faith. And um, last but not least, John was uh, was tortured and then exiled to the island of Patmos. They lost everything for the sake of Christ. Everything. But here's the deal it, it's not what they lost. It's, it's, it's who they gained. It's who they gained. That these guys uh, would have spent the rest of their lives, I maybe mean, sure they would have lived a happy life, would have maybe lived a comfortable life. But all of a sudden, they meet this guy, Jesus, and he blows them away. There's something unique about him. He's calling them to something so much more. There's intrinsically deep down where they know that this is who they've been searching for their entire lives. And so they leave everything for him. And, and these guys would know if this was all made up. They would know if Jesus was a sham and you know, a charlatan. They would, these guys would have known. And they gave their lives for something that they knew to be true. They wouldn't, give, they wouldn't be executed for a lie being tortured. Say, hey, it, was all, it was all a joke. They can't unsee what they saw. These guys historically gave their lives to follow Christ. But this is what they gained. They gained Jesus Christ. They gained everything. This is what the Apostle Paul is writing. Again, the Apostle Paul gave his life for Christ. And the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, verses 7 through 8, writing from jail, says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered, listen, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When you meet the one of surpassing worth, he takes priority over everything. This Jesus who is so amazing, so amazing. What's your heart's been searching for? Your whole life, to know him and be known by him and to be changed by him and to have him actively at work in your life. That's what you uh, have. So, so uh, uh, I'll conclude with this. I'll conclude with this. Um, I think it's easy for us to read this story and then we take a hard look at ourselves, right? And we say, all right, I got I to gotta muster up the faith, right? I got to trust and it's up to me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run and I'm going to follow Jesus and, and pursue him and, and all this stuff. Well, uh, if you know me, you know that uh, when I was in elementary school uh, roughly around third grade, I had this leg condition called leg perthes disease uh, where your femur bone gets really messed up. Uh, the bone starts like I think it's called deossifying. I don't know if that's accurate or not, uh, but uh, the fumbra starts like not getting circulation to the bone, starts disintegrating. And um, so I was, uh, I was on, on crutches for almost a year, and then I had a major hip surgery, and so I was in a wheelchair for two months. And in the recovery in the wheelchair, I was in a cast from you know the tips of my toes all the way up to my hip with a big iron bar. And so it looked like if I did this, if I stood up, it looked like I was doing like a, a static jumping jack, if you will. Um, and, and, and sitting in a wheelchair, and there comes a day, there comes a day where I am set free. There comes a day where, where the doctor comes, and he gets the cool little saw out, and he starts, man, there is toil and labor. He starts grinding off that cast. that's kept me in a chair for months, and all of a sudden, he peels it back, and the, the stench is overwhelming. <laughs> the skin is flaky and nasty, uh, just just straight just reveals straight bird legs chicken legs that have atrophied over the last 2 months and uh, i had a choice from that moment on right doctor came pronounced the good news hey there's a good news you can walk again but see there came a moment where i had to trust with the shaky with the, with, the, with the stanky weak First step, I had to trust the doctor's message that, hey, you can walk again, start walking again. And what my first step looked on that journey of recovery, the battle was won, the chains were broken, but all that was being asked of me was, hey, take that, that weak, that shaky first step and trust, trust that, uh, that that's gonna be, you know, your journey into a new life. But you have to take that step, that step of trust, that step of faith, I think for a lot of us here, um, it's easy to, to, to look at our legs or whatever and say on this journey that Jesus is calling to me, Jesus, I don't, man, you know me, I got, I got, I, I'm paralyzed, man, you know the life. I've never followed you a day in my life, or I've tried to follow you, and this, this, this can't work. And so we focus on ourselves, we focus on what we can't do, we focus on our legs and say, Lord, look at my legs. you tell me to go going on a hike with you? I can't even get out of this chair. What are you talking about? Christ said, don't focus on yourself. It's not not just about what you're leaving behind. It's about who you're walking towards. Just take that small, maybe fearful step of faith and trust that Jesus is the one who's going to make you a fisherman, to remake you and do the rest of the work in that journey. All he asks, all he asks is for faith as small as a mustard seed. And so would you do that today? Maybe for the first time in your life, just put your trust, not in yourself, not in your 401k, but truly believe that Jesus Christ uh, is, is, the, is, is the son of God who came and secured salvation for you, for you specifically, so that you can come to know God. You can come to know why you were created and why you exist to be in communion and union and a relationship with the living God of the universe. Christ has made that possible. The cast is taken off. The chair is thrown away. And all he's asking is for, is for a step of faith. in in, in his direction, and he's got a big, big smile on his face, and he's ready to welcome you with open arms as you take that step of faith, even if it's a weak, weak step. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you sought us when we were strangers. Thank you, Jesus, that That what we read in your word is that you don't sit and demand everyone comes to you. But what we see is that your kingdom of God, you, King Jesus, you uh, humbled yourself and you came down to us and sought us out when we were far from you, God. And I pray this morning, Spirit of the living God, that you would call out to us today. And maybe for sleepy Christians uh, who uh, maybe are, are beat up and bruised and are just getting by that 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 they would answer your call to stop looking at their circumstances, but to trust in you, to fix their gaze upon you and to start walking in your direction, to repent and to stop looking at uh, their circumstances or their finances or all these false kings that are, are calling out to them, but put their eyes on you, Jesus. I pray that, uh, uh, that they would answer that call, Holy Spirit, and you help them do that. And Holy Spirit, pray for those, of, uh, those that might be in this room that haven't answered that call to follow you. They have no idea what that looks like. They they don't even uh, uh, know what that first step would look like. And there's lots of fear involved, lots of unknowns. And uh, Holy Spirit, would you just call them by name, call them out this morning. Give them the courage and the strength to just take that leap of faith, that small step of faith, and let them know that it's you calling them, God, a living God, a real God, a God who demands everything, but at the same time gives everything to those that, are known by you. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift of your son and the gift of your salvation. You are of surpassing worth and value. And may we see that this morning. May the church see that and recognize that, that you are our treasure. You are our only hope. We thank you, Lord, and praise in your name, Jesus. Amen.